Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Here we are kicking off a new week, and wow, it's August, but for many places it doesn't feel like August. It has a very fall feel in many parts of the country. We'll talk about that today with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson and see what's ahead for this week and get his thoughts on the the forecast for the month of August. Well, critical time for crop development. We'll get into that. We're also going to talk markets with Steve Nicholson with Bravo AgriFinance. We'll talk about the big China purchase last week and uh, much more. And Joe Glauber, former USDA chief economist, will be joining us. We'll get his thoughts on uh, the COVID assistance packages that are being debated in Congress, his thoughts on the China purchase, his thoughts on whether ethanol should get the... get assistance in this package or not he kind of seems to think maybe not so we'll get his thoughts on that a little bit later on as well but we're happy to start things off for today and for the week with sarah wyatt editor and president of agripulse communications sarah thank you so much for joining us well let's start with uh, these uh, negotiations on a coronavirus assistance package the latest is what they're not close or are they making progress Well, good morning, Mike. And I do think there was some progress. As we reported over the weekend, we had the four principals who are negotiating, White House Chief of Staff and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and uh, Senator Schumer and Speaker Pelosi all emerging from a meeting with at least Schumer and Pelosi seeing a little bit more up. I think there have been productive discussions, but as you know, uh, there was a, no continuation of this enhanced unemployment benefit of a $600 payment that seems to be at the core of some of their disputes. Uh, the Republicans had offered to do a short-term extension. The Democrats said, no, we want to just get the whole package done. The House, of course, did their $3 trillion package in May. The Senate just emerged with theirs, and they're saying, let's just get the whole thing done. So the unemployment benefit uh, enhancement seems to be at the core of some of the disputes and how it could be triggered. But there are other things as well as uh, looking at the minimum supplemental nutrition assistance program or the food stamp benefit and a lot of other details that go into this. So I think they've still got a little ways to go. Are there talks going on separately on the ag portion of it so that that would be ready to go when they get the other things worked out? Well, that's something that our team certainly heard from talking to Chairman Pat Roberts and Senator Bozeman and uh, Senator Holvin, that there are a lot of different things that they're trying to negotiate. Certainly, ranking minority member Senator Stabenow and Senate Ag Committee has made food assistance a very core of her demands on this. She wants the minimum SNAP benefit to increase from 16 to $30. And so there are a lot of things that are being negotiated just as part of the ag side as this overall negotiation. So a lot of moving parts, but it does seem like there will be quite a bit of additional assistance for producers as well as those who are still really challenged by hunger during this difficult time of the pandemic. But this is the key week. We'll see if they can get it done this week, uh, or do they, uh, they work overtime on this one before going on their recess? Well, so technically they already are in overtime because the House was scheduled to adjourn for the August recess last Friday. 
But Majority Leader Sonny Hoyer has made it clear that all the House members need to stay at the ready so that as soon as they do have an agreement, they're going to get 24 hours notice before they'll be called back into session for a vote. So uh, the schedule, the, the Senate uh, is scheduled to adjourn this Friday, but McConnell, uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has told people that the that's the same thing that will happen is that they'll stay engaged until there's a final deal on this big relief package. So we'll see what happens this week. Meanwhile, we're also watching uh, the race in the state of Kansas, that primary with uh, Pat Roberts, chairman of the Senate Ag Committee, retiring. So that's quite a battle there to uh, take that spot. It certainly is. Um, and certainly... Congressman Roger Marshall had been considered really a shoe-in for this, given that he's got a lot of support from the ag community. He represented the 1st District. But there's a strong contingent in Kansas who is also supportive of Chris Kobach. And so there's this uh, very strong primary challenger uh, for someone who might have been considered the heir apparent, so to speak, to Senator Roberts. Roberts had pledged to remain neutral, but recently came in out, came out for support of Congressman Marshall, and uh, so it's it's going to be really, a, I think, a, a tight race uh, in this primary election. It's one of five that it will be held uh, on uh, Tuesday, Mike. But uh, we're going to be watching that very closely because there are some people who are saying that Kobach, who uh, did not win his last bid for election for governor is so polarizing that he might uh, make it very difficult for some of the Republicans who might have supported Congressman Marshall uh, to gain their support in the general election. And Kansas has not gone for a Democrat for many, many years. It's not that they might not this time around, but um, you know they've got a, a strong challenger on the Democratic side as well. So uh, a lot of attention will be focused on that primary race on Tuesday. Yep, be watching that closely. You know, back to the assistance package, I, I keep bringing this up. Uh, while it's important for them to get something worked out in this new package, uh, it should be noted they still haven't sent out all the money in the CFAP program. The money that's already approved, it, there's still a lot of money to go out in that. There is. There's more money to go there. There's more money under the Paycheck uh, uh, Payroll Protection Program. So, and again, I think that's why some people were saying, let's wait and see how this all unfolds. But at the same time, you saw the the jobs report last week that uh, showed that there's still so much uh, unemployment in this country. At the same time, um, we've been driving around Missouri, South Dakota, North Dakota, almost all these small towns that we've gone through. There's a lot of help wanted signs out there. So, it's a very difficult time for people to try to get the right folks employed, get their business back going again, at the same time trying to keep everybody safe from COVID. Yeah, just uh, so many things that we're dealing with. Uh, you, uh, Real quick, you moderated a panel uh, last week uh, talking about uh, different ag issues. You were focusing on the state of Iowa, but a lot of those issues affect everybody throughout agriculture. What was your takeaway from that? Basically, that the focus on trade has become more and more important for growers. We did some research back in 2016, which showed trade was not at the top of their list of concerns. 
and it's emerged as a, a much higher priority. And I think that's a great awareness for all of us throughout agriculture is that so many of the bushels produced in the Midwest are exported or need to be exported in order to make sure that farmers can be profitable. So yeah. that, that's a key take home and I think something people need to keep pushing on and trying to enhance and expand trade. All right, Sarah, good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you, Mike. Sarah Wyatt, editor, president of AgriPulse Communications. Up next, we talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, so we turned the calendars to August over the weekend, and somehow it felt like we uh, moved forward to fall all of a sudden. Let's talk about it with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, uh, what's with this uh, cool weather here in August? It's supposed to be hot and sticky and, uh, you know, really the dog days of summer. It doesn't feel like it in many parts of the Midwest. Well, we put all that on, a, on hold for a few days, Mike. <laughs> uh, during the past uh, week, there was uh, just a, a very... A large area of upper-level high pressure that formed uh, from Southern California north all the way into the Canadian Rockies, and uh, it uh, on the charts today is uh, showing its presence all the way north, practically into the Canadian territories. So um, the any cooler air in uh, North Central Canada got pushed south, and so we're feeling that over uh, much of the central part of the country uh, in the continental U.S. And, it uh, it is a, definitely a cool trend. Uh, a lot of temperatures are running about uh, what 15 degrees below normal uh, for the daytime temperatures, and around 10 degrees below normal for the uh, low temperatures. It's been a real change, um, very very well timed in uh, areas that had moisture to work with, because crops can just kind of use it as at their leisure instead of having to uh, just you know work overtime to maintain uh, their integrity. And uh, along with that, then, uh, there was the uh, widespread occurrence of a pretty hefty round of rain over the south-central and the southeastern parts of the Corn Belt, kind of along and south of Interstate 70, with rains last week that looked to me like uh, amounted to anywhere from one and a half to three inches of rain, and uh, locally heavier. So it uh, has been a uh, a real uh, beneficial stretch for uh, the southern half of the Corn Belt when we think about how everything has panned out. Yeah, nice break indeed. Uh, what about the rainfall, those dry areas? Did they get to the get some of that rain? Uh, they certainly did not in, uh, in west-central Iowa uh, last week. Uh, the state of Iowa has got over 60% of the, uh, of the state now in some phase of dryness or drought. That's not just, just a full-on drought, but the drought monitor starts at abnormal dryness and then kind of goes from there in terms of uh, increasing intensity. But more than 60% has some phase of uh, abnormal dryness all the way to severe drought. And uh, in that uh, severe drought category, there are all or parts of 21 counties in west central Iowa and then into part of northwestern Iowa that have that uh, type of a designation. And at that point, uh, you know, the uh, the drought monitor definition has 
some uh, deterioration of crops noted, and uh, and the the uh, the prospect of uh, yield reduction becomes quite high. This part of uh, the Corn Belt um, has maybe around uh, oh I would say a third to possibly three quarters of an inch of rain for this week when the cool front that we had during the past week moves back north as a warm front. So there will be some showers, but uh, there's uh, a lot of moisture deficit that has developed, and so there's not going to be very much contribution to the total soil profile. I think that, uh, you know, the rain that falls is going to get, uh, you know, taken up very quickly because of uh, the demand that crops have right now during uh, the uh, ear filling stage on corn and then pod setting and pod filling on soybeans. Mm-hmm. What about that eastern corn belt? Let's focus more on that. Well, I think that uh, when you look at last week, um, I would say that Indiana and Ohio uh, had some beneficial rainfall because uh, those two states were in the area that had from one and a half to three, uh, some locally heavier. So I think that there was some benefit there. And I think uh, that uh, that is going to be reflected in uh, the crop ratings. Now, a little bit farther north in Michigan, it's a lot more varied. Uh, the the uh, northern half of Michigan has been quite dry and uh, had very little rain during this past week. There's a few showers in that part of the country today, but I don't think that there's uh, going to be very much to, to uh, truly offset uh, some dryness that's been going on. But there certainly was some benefit, again, uh, if you were uh, south of, um, you know, south of the uh, Interstate 74 uh, corridor uh, there in uh, Indiana and Ohio, you certainly got the rainfall, and uh, that uh, that stretch has been, uh, I think, uh, pretty well, uh, pretty well covered with rain over the past week. All right, let's go back to temperatures. So a cooler week yet this week, but uh, I'm assuming that we we still have some uh, uh, warmer temperatures coming here in August. Oh, yes, we do. The uh, the cool frontal boundary that came in last week is going to work back north as a warm front uh, during the last half of this week, uh, certainly from Thursday through Saturday. And after that happens, uh, we're going to see the temperatures rebound. In fact, uh, during both the 6 to 10 day and the 8 to 14 day uh, time frame, uh, there's uh, widespread above normal temperatures uh, throughout the plains and the Midwest, except for the northern uh, fringe of the plains and uh, the northern part of the Midwest. Uh, there's there will be some concern about crop stress uh, because of uh, of that uh, that warming trend, particularly in areas that have not had the benefit of the recent rainfall. And uh, so that's going to uh, certainly be a lot more summer-like. It's not like we got into this cooler pattern here in early August or at the very onset of the month. And uh, that's going to be the way it is all the way through. But uh, it certainly has been, for uh, many areas, it's been a a real beneficial break uh, after that kind of heat that we put up with in the middle part of July. There was a lot of concern about uh, how the rest of the summer was going to play out. And here we've had this break to to really kind of allow a reset in terms of uh, those types of patterns as we go through the uh, early part of August. And, of course, tropical storm impacting the East Coast. Does that go much inland? 
You know, fortunately for inland uh, areas uh, of the southeast, uh, the system uh, called ESA ES is uh, not going to uh, track inland. Uh, the storm track is going to stay along the Atlantic seaboard. It certainly is going to bring some uh, damage potential into the far southeast. And then parts of the mid-Atlantic area in Virginia, maybe north into Pennsylvania, the Delmarva Peninsula, along with Maryland, uh, that, uh, you know, that sector of uh, crop area in the eastern U.S. could get some damage because we've got, um, you know, some type of flood or tropical-related uh, storm bulletin in effect uh, along almost the entire east coast. Almost, I, I want to say that the state of Maine is maybe excluded, but that's about it. So uh, this storm is going to be a uh, notable feature along the Atlantic seaboard during this week. I tell you, Bryce, it's uh, it's just been an unusual year, that's for sure. And we talked about some of the areas that uh, certainly have still needed rain, but there are a lot of uh, key production areas in the Midwest that have had, you know, have had moisture to go along now with this cooler break. Uh, so there's some very good spots, too. Oh, there, there certainly are. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you think about uh, the uh, northern half of Missouri doing quite well. Uh, central Kansas uh, had uh, dryness easing uh, to the point that, uh, you know, that uh, issue has kind of been confined to the western and the southern edges of that state. And then across the uh, central uh, portion of Illinois, uh, rainfall both uh, this past week and then the week before last, uh, has uh, kind of turned things around after some real concern. Uh, so there's uh, there's certainly some big production areas that are, that are, are doing very well. And um, in the uh, northern part of the country, in the Dakotas, uh, the, circ- uh, the circumstances have been just uh, completely different than a year ago when uh, there were so many acres that uh, were simply unfarmable because of how wet it was. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll watch... Uh for the return of warmer temperatures towards the end of this week. And uh, we'll see. What about the, the rest of August, real quick, uh, towards the end of August, well, what think, are you seeing? Yeah, I think that August is going to uh, is, is going to offer some back and forth on temperatures. Um, you know, with this cool start, we're going to have a warm-up and then, you know, a little bit more uh, of that uh, interplay between uh, cooler and warmer. But overall, uh, August is looking uh, quite seasonal on temperatures. And um, I do not see that we're going to have a, a, a real cool down as we go into the end of the summer and then into the fall season. In fact, our prospect for fall is looking quite favorable with basically a warmer and drier pattern uh, thinking about harvest for this year. Yeah, that'll be here before we know it. Thanks a lot, Bryce. Good to talk with you. You too, Mike. Thanks. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. So overall, sounds pretty good production-wise. Of course, that impacts markets. We'll talk about that next with Steve Nicholson with Bravo AgriFinance on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, we have a lot to talk about, both on the uh, production side and the demand side. So let's talk it over with Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst with Robo AgriFinance. Steve, good to talk with you again. And for not all, but for much of the key production area of the Midwest, uh, we're seeing moisture and cooler temperatures 
as we go into August, that's uh, pretty good conditions for a big crop. Yes, good morning, Mike. Uh, absolutely. Um, we had the last two weeks, I think, when we talked, I'd been up in central Illinois a week ago, um, and it, you know, crops looked tremendous up through there. And then last, just this past four days, I've been in central and eastern Iowa, and same thing. I mean, just incredible-looking crops. Um, and I think that's the thing. We've got, you know, the temperatures. You know, I'm in St. Louis, and it's almost chilly. Um, and we've had moisture, and we've got chill, and, you know, it's getting cool at night now in, in, in the Midwest. So you see, you know, 80-degree days, in some cases upper 70s, but you're seeing those, you know, 60 upper 50 nights. And so that's really good weather for filling corn, uh, and getting pods off to a good start and getting filled too. And I think the one thing that struck me a lot on the corn is just the evenness or the, the of the stand. You know, in the last several years, we've kind of gotten used to seeing holes and unevenness in the stands. And the corn crop this year is just one of those crops you look at and go, wow. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, things look really good. Um, if you're a producer, that's a mixed bag, obviously. You want to produce a crop, that's what you do. But at the same time, when you do that, then that produces other issues on the price side. And that's where the, you know, the concern certainly is. And we can see the corn market's really reflecting that today or, you know, has been the last week or so. Yeah, you're kind of in that, uh, that catch-22. If the <clears throat> price is low, you, you need bushels uh, to kind of offset it. But those bushels <laughs> can help keep the price low. But so we looked at the demand side. We had this big, big corn purchase by China last week. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, you know, it's just surprising a little bit now that, you know, even after the announcement of a pause in trade buying or, you know, buying from the U.S., you know, China has continued to buy more and more. So it's a little bit of that misdirection. The market goes, oh, and so it has a sort of fade. And so, you know, we've talked about before, China is a is a price buyer. I mean, they, they see cheap prices and they're going to jump in and do it. And so the same thing is, you know, that's why they like two two suppliers for beans. You get cheap beans in our fall, you get cheap beans in South America's fall. But it's interesting. I did some statistics here this morning just to kind of look at, um, you know, what's China done so far this year and, and where are they? And you look at um, what's kind of – I want to put this in perspective, and that's kind of why I want to talk about this, is that, you know, it's good news that China is buying corn, they're buying soybeans, they're obviously buying pork, and we'd rather sell them pork because it's a higher-value product, and if we can put corn and soybean meal through pork here, that's good for everybody. So but let's look at, if you look at China's total corn exports for calendar day, now keep that in mind, you know, it's, it's only about 0.6% or less than 1% of our total corn exports. So I want to put that in perspective is I understand China's like, you know, if they come to market, that's a big deal. But, you know, they really aren't, they're not the driver of corn exports, you know, for the U.S. You know, they just, they never have been. You know, back in the, in the drought days of 12 and 13, you know, they were a pretty big percentage of our corn exports, but part of that was because of corn exports were so low. But when you look over time, China tends to be from about a half to 2% of our total corn exports. So I kind of want to keep that in perspective. But when you look at what's going on right now in China, if you look at our outstanding sales for this crop year, now keep in mind we only have four weeks left, there are 22.5% of those outstanding sales. Whether those come to pass or not, we'll see. If you look at total accumulated exports for this crop year, China's 2.3% 
of our total corn exports. So they're kind of in that range where they typically have been. You look at next year and you look at corn exports, outstanding sales, they're 45% of those outstanding sales. So that's, you know, there's a lot of those outstanding sales will go to China. So that's sort of the good news. It's typical in soybeans as well. They're almost 59% of our total outstanding sales for next marketing year. So they have really, I would say, they've taken advantage of the low prices and sort of kind of stocked up here. Um, they wanted to do this and get it done and move on. So I think that's, you know, that's good news is that those sales are in place ready to go. So, you know, prices get cheaper. I think China will buy some more. Why aren't the markets more excited about it? Well, you know, that's a really good question. I think it's, you know, I think it boils back to your first question. When we look at production, you know, you've got this potentially, and I'm going to say that, you know, is we're all enthusiastic about what we see in the fields, and I think we always have to think about that, but we're here in August, and weather looks good, so potentially a big crop coming. The market knows that, and the market goes, I don't need to do anything to ration supply, or on the other hand, ration demand. So that's the first thing. But you look at corn, when you've got 2.6 billion bushels forecast for next year, and we think that number will increase, ending stocks, market's going again. I don't need to bid this up. Uh, because we don't have any need to ration any of those supplies or ration demand, however, whatever side of the table we're going to look at. You know, soybeans is a little different story. Um, I do think there's a little bit more upside with soybeans here from where we are, what we know today. And so I think that would be, I think that's the crop to watch. You know, soybean production probably is going to be good. Obviously, it's an August crop, as we well know. But looking at, we could see a little heat for soybeans, that would help it. But the fact is that stocks are still, they're comfortably adequate. They're not overburdensome like they have in the last two years, but they're comfortably adequate. And so I think the market is taking that into account and will continue to move forward. But that's, that's why it's, the market's not going, oh. You know, you think back to 95, 96 when China bought, you know, a bunch of corn. They had, I think it was 15 million metric tons, no, 5 million metric tons of corn during that, that crop year. You know, let me double check. Yeah, 5.4 to be exact. You know, think about what was happening then. You know, we had low stocks. We had very hot weather that summer in 96. And so the market took off because it was hot weather. It was middle of July. Didn't know stocks were a little bit challenging. And the market took off because here comes, you know, here comes China buying 5 million metric tons of U.S. corn, which still is the high level to this, to, to this day. So that's a couple of reasons why the market really hasn't taken off. So it's hard to see then a rally if if China purchases won't spark the market or unless we have some kind of major weather problem, if we just keep going along in pretty good shape weather-wise, it would seem the markets are not poised for any big rally in the immediate future. Right. In the case of corn, yes, I absolutely agree with that. I don't think that corn is poised. Now, I'm not saying that soybeans are going to have a big rally, but I think they could potentially rally – if we look at new crop November beans, you know, could there be a 50-cent rally in that? Yeah, I think there could be a 50-cent rally. When you look at the fundamentals in the fourth quarter, and you look at that because that's when you know absolute maximum supply, you look at that supply versus stocks use ratio, the market's a little discounted to where it should be based on those fundamentals. So I think beans could have a little bit of a rally here as we get, you know, get deeper into the fall, particularly if the Chinese purchases continue to pick up. So... That would be the market I would be watching. Um, I would probably pay attention to wheat a little bit too. You know, you've had some issues in Europe. France said they had what the hottest 
hottest record, hottest summer in the last five years. You know, they've had some issues with production in Germany and France and, of course, Russia. So wheat may have some upside, but I think corn's going to be challenged to, to the upside. Yeah, uh, yeah, on the beans, because even though things are looking pretty good now, it's still a little early to really get a full, a real good handle on, on this crop, right? Yeah, and it's, you know, it's like, you know, beans and wheat are the are the, cla- are the quintessential crops. You really don't know what you get until you get in the field of the combine and figure out, you know, what's coming through the yield monitor. So I think that's why, you know, I'd probably, you know, I'd like to see a little heat uh, would be good for beans right now. Um, but, you know, I think that's where if we could see, you know, we'll see what that production looks like. But I think beans have just the fundamentals would point that that number should be just a little higher. Uh, the future should be trained a little bit higher than they are currently. Uh, but, yeah, there's a, you know, we've still got 30, let's call it 30 to 45 days of, of growing weather that we have to get through mm-hmm. before, you know, before we really have this settled in. But, you know, the weather looks good going forward, but you're going to have to have the, the faucets turn off and the temperatures go back up, I think, to get the markets um, concerned that production won't be there this year. If and, China, and, and we should, there's, yeah, go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say, if China would make a purchase of of ethanol, which they've not shown any indication of, but if they were to make some ethanol purchases, would that be a market mover? Yeah, I think that would be, the market would be a lot more excited about that because it it hasn't happened at all yet. Um, You know, know, corn, soybeans, and wheat's been happening, so the market's going, okay, well, that's Mm -hmm. sort of normal. But ethanol right now, because like you rightly said, we have not seen ethanol. They just dropped us like a hot potato when this trade war started on the ethanol side. And so, if we could get some ethanol purchases, that would be a that would probably that would likely put give corn a little bit of boost to the upside because it had not been expected. Now, the other the challenge, of course, there is you know the COVID situation, and you know now stocks of ethanol are relatively low, uh, which has been very interesting. Um, but this COVID thing, you know, if we if the United States pulls back and we don't use as much fuel, um, you know, and ethanol, and, and the thing, same thing with China. I mean, you look at what's happening, COVID's kind of reemerging, but an ethanol purchase would be a big deal for the U.S. It would be would be very welcome, welcomed by the corn market for sure. Yeah. All right, Steve, good to talk with you again. Thanks a lot, and we'll stay in touch. No problem. Good to talk to you. Take care, Mike. You too. Steve Nicholson, great and oil seeds analyst for Robo Agrofinance. So next we'll talk with former USDA Chief Economist Joe Glauber, his thoughts on uh, the China purchases and also his thoughts on the ag assistance packages being debated in Congress. That and more coming up next. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk things over with Joe Glauber, former USDA chief economist, now senior research fellow at the International Food Policy Research Institute. Joe, thanks for joining us. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on the big China corn purchase. Uh, you would have thought that the, the markets might have gotten a little more excited about it than they did, but uh, they kind of took it in stride. How significant was that purchase? What do you think was uh, really behind it? Just a good price opportunity, or does it reflect uh, the stock situation in China? What do you think? Well, I, I think prices are uh, corn prices are high in China, so uh, no 
no doubt that, that they saw this as a good opportunity to purchase grain. And, and I mean, in the back of the, the, the minds, of course, there is this phase two or phase one agreement that they, they need to be, make some progress on. But I think this is probably market-driven as much as anything else, which is encouraging. I think this is uh, these are good purchases. If you look at, at, at corn purchases and, and to a degree wheat purchases, uh, they're going a long way towards starting to fill those TRQs, those trade, um, uh, uh, the, the tariff rate quotas that they have. They have obligations to purchase, and we won this WTO case against them last year uh, to – to force them to, to fill those quotas. And so um, I think that, that looks very promising. Soybean uh, purchases are off to a, a good start, I think. So all that is, I, you know, is, is good for U.S. agriculture, no question. But the market's probably also looking at what seems to be uh, a good crop coming. So it, yeah, it crop, takes, yeah. it's going to take a lot of demand, right, to, uh, to make them – the mark get the market's attention because they're looking at a big crop. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I granted we're, we're I'm way, way, I'm a, a number of miles from from uh, the Midwest these days, but we were out on the eastern shore of Virginia, and corn corn was incredible out there. My wife my wife made a comment on it, so uh, it's looking good in a lot of different places. And of course, I've been following that on the crop progress thing. But uh, you're right. I mean, we. It, that's keeping prices down as much as anything um, these days. Well, there's a big debate, of course, in Washington right now over the COVID assistance package and what they're going to come up with, big differences between the House and the Senate, between Republicans and Democrats. When it comes to the ag portion of it, uh, what are your thoughts on what's in there, uh, what you like and don't like as far as uh, assistance? Well, they both have big packages for ag. I mean, I think uh, you know, well, uh, the Heroes Act, what had sixteen and a half billion in direct payments, and um, uh, the Heels Act has about twenty billion in direct payments. The I, I know the Heroes Act also. Uh, this is the Democratic bill. Um, they had provisions in there to potentially increase uh, CRP for by another five million acres. Um, I get. I, those things I, I, I'm more concerned about, I think, uh, set-aside programs, and I know they're attractive as far as some people are concerned, but I, I worry about losing competitiveness in global markets, and it, it, those things tend to tie up land for a long time, and and I'm all in favor of them if they're really targeting environmental benefits, but if they're just there pretty much to take land out of production, I think it's a bad idea. Um, and it, I guess it's no no surprise uh, to some I, in in the sense I've been pretty vocal about it. Um, I'm not really a big fan for uh, much aid going beyond the farm gate. I mean I think that's a, a real open um, it sets a, a precedent for you know doing a lot of of, of uh, giving a lot of assistance to downstream industries. And I don't know where you stop on that. And I'm not sure in the long run that's in the farmer's best interest. But I. I know there's there's interest in in helping out ethanol producers. There's interest in helping out textile, uh, or excuse me, uh, um, uh, cotton gins and, and mills. And and to me, I, I think that gets a little further away from what the CCC Act, uh, or Charter Act was was set up to do. But um, 
these things, I, again, both I think are, are very, um, uh, the, the thing I do like about them is they do address the issue that, that we're, where uh, livestock producers who've had to depopulate herds uh, get get indemnified, and I think that's mm-hmm. important. Uh, clearly, they're, they've been ones who've been really hurt by this. They, they, there's some, it had some assistance, but it's pretty limited, and so um, uh, that will that will help a lot. Um, and you know, again, um, we we've seen now what three three years where we've seen very very large payments coming in, in addition to to what's available with the farm uh, farm bill and what's available through federal crop insurance. And I think that that um, you know everyone starts talking about 2021 like. Well, what happens then when all this money goes away, or, or does it go away? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that I think we're in, in for some interesting debates over the next uh, twelve months. Real quick, why? What are your concerns about assistance going to ethanol? They were not in the CFAT package. They've certainly had a big downturn as the COVID has slowed driving and fuel they, demand. They, so there, there's a lot of harm there. Yeah. No. No. And I, I get all that, but, but. But what the ethanol industry is claiming is they're claiming their loss is based on gross revenues. So they say, here's the value of ethanol that we weren't able to produce. Here's all the DBGs that we weren't able to produce. And they give you a value of that, and that's several billion dollars. I agree all, all with that. But the fact is they also didn't have incur costs. You know, the, So all that corn that wasn't uh, purchased to go into the ethanol grind, that's where, the, that's where a big loss is. And there, you know, that we've seen the loss through lower corn prices. And I think that those things, uh, you know, CFAP has tried to address that. If you look at the profitability of ethanol over the last two or three years, it's more like five cents a gallon on average, at least looking at Illinois, University of Illinois estimates. And, and so that, that, so there are, don't get me wrong, there are uh, costs here that aren't being uh, recouped, but they are also eligible for the uh, Paycheck Protection Program, and ethanol mills have taken advantage of that. They've gotten about $70 million in loans from that. So I just don't like we'll extending it beyond farm gate. Right. Interesting point. Joe, thank you very much. Good to talk with you. You bet. Yeah. Joe Glauber, former USDA Chief Economist. Thanks for joining us, everyone, on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.